All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Questlove Supreme. I'm yours, Questlove. Team Supreme is with me. Why, yeah, hello. Hey, man. I'm doing bad. I'm excited. I'm good. I'm excited, too. That's <laughs> yeah, a good word. Like, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we're allowed to say excited. As the person that is on every Zoom pitch, I think everyone's excited is the equivalent of, say, Macbeth in the theater. You should, <laughs> not be on a Zoom and say everyone's excited. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like that's the death nail. Got to apply it to every Zoom. This is this is specifically an right. exciting well, the, Zoom. Right. This is not a business meeting. So yeah, that's, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Sugar Steve, what up, bro? Hi, Amir. Hi, Team Supreme. Hi, Shaggy. How's well, everybody I'm, doing? I'm great. My oh yeah, just give it away now. Give it away now, Steve. Thanks. <laughs> Let's edit that. Let's edit that. Hey, Steve, how you doing, bro? Hey, Shaggy. <laughs> Fon Tigolo, man. How, how's it going down there? What's good, bro? I'm all right, man. I'm cool. I'm uh, finishing up my dinner. I want to be eating on camera. <laughs> Yo, just let it go to a black screen. I think Fonte should be like uh, the neighbor on uh, a Home Improvement. <laughs> where we just... Right, right, right. right. <laughs> we just see a black screen. <laughs> No, no, I, think, I, I think the fact that we were talking off camera before you got in kind of got into the whole vibe. Shaggy, shh, we, not supposed to, we never supposed to talk before he gets on camera. Shh, what are you talking about? No, we didn't. No, no, no. No, 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 no. It wasn't me. <laughs> we weren't talking about anything other than the fact that I was uh, complimenting where she lives. Um, huh. Are you, you like her background? <laughs> no, no, no. He was shading my state. It's cool. We talk, we, we get in. We, you, you're, you're breaking the rules, Shaggy. Oh. We like to introduce... <laughs> No, nah, no, nah, okay, fuck it. All right, Shaggy's on the show. Wait, what's up? What's up? Where, where's up where uh, Laia lives? <laughs> I mean, what part of town are you in, Laia? 
I'm in, oh, I'm in uh, Lamar Inglewood, but he wasn't really take, making fun of that. He's making fun of the fact that I live in California, which is, has a, uh, you know, has has some shit with it, but he has a home in Florida. So I told him he needs to step back. <laughs> oh, you're not, you're not a California person at all. <laughs> no, it's not that I'm not a California. I'm just looking at it. I, I said, there's only one box ticked. It's great weather. You get up and you feel amazing. But right. if you sit down and tick the rest of boxes, I'm like, you know, there's mudslides, there's fires, I'm like, earthquake, there's earthquake. Crown Act, there's Karen Bass, there's Gavin Newsom. <laughs> I'm like, don't even get started. <laughs> you know, there's so much, there's so much thing, but you know, we 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 agreed to disagree. Yes, very true. Very true. <laughs> All right. So technically speaking, I should do a proper introduction. Okay. All right, okay. So I I will say that um I've we probably had a conversation with every musician, every walk of life, but I don't think I've ever had an in-depth conversation uh, with anyone um, in the in the dance hall reggae world. I mean, if you discount Supercat complaining that I wasn't good on drums at the Roots Jam session. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't feel bad. Sure I did. I remember that. Don't feel bad. He, he complains about a lot of things. So it's yeah, fine. Okay. <laughs> Don't feel uh, bad. <laughs> he cussed me out totally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Someone told me that it's actually a, a badge of honor if he if he cusses it you is. out. So yeah. It is, it is, it is. And I'm not cutting you, but I'll tell you what, Supercat was one of the first person to give me a microphone when I was in Brooklyn back in Flatbush back in the days when I was a young guy. And he would bring the microphone and give give it to me because everybody was fighting, you know, to spit on spit on the mic. And he always um gave me so he could say anything about me. <laughs> I'm taking that because he was that guy. It's funny you say that. I really wanted to do this episode because, I mean, I've said it a few times before, but our guest today saved the roots. <laughs> yeah, I will say that if, if it weren't for our guest today, none of this would be. <laughs> what? Wow. I'm not saying wow, none of this would be possible, but I know for a fact very directly that the, the fruits and the overflow with uh, monetary nature of uh our guest and his art form definitely came as a uh an 11th hour saving grace slash life raft if you will uh for my band which you know i will say to the end of the time that shaggy is all right with me he's done so many legendary things i mean he's sold over 40 million units has over 800 million streams I mean, he's collaborated with the best. I mean, name it. From Shaka Khan to Eve to Janet Jackson, Cardi B, Maxi Priest, Barrington Levy, Two to the Maytals. Dude, even I mean, right now the 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 gold standard is to get billions of streams on TikTok. He's done that as well. Like, you know, yeah. and right now we're here to celebrate uh his new project. First of all, I mean, you and Sting together. That's uh. <laughs> all right. We already gave it away at the top of the show, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, Shaggy. Yes, of course. Love to love love love. Yes, thank you. Mm. Thank you very much, Quest. Mm. You know, you know what? I gotta. I, you put a lot of a lot of weight on my shoulder there, um, Quest, because I, it's not the first time I've heard you said that. And um, yeah, dog. I've been meaning to, to see you and talk to you about that. <laughs> You're putting a lot of that's a lot of weight on my shoulder. Y'all got to remind people of this story. <laughs> no, but basically, you know, I, 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 I think with the way that a, a successful record label can operate, I mean, yes, everybody wants 
you know, a vast, a vast array of artists on their label and whatnot. But, you know, the label also needs an, like an earner. And, you know, it wasn't me it was so inescapable in yes, 98, 99 mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that basically we were kind of wondering where like we we'd spend a lot of money on things fall apart and you know it's it's kind of like have you ever seen uh uh what's a adam sandler's movie that uh i thought he should have got nominated for an oscar for oh uncut gems oh it's, yeah the industry is a lot like uncut gems where you got to rob peter to pay paul so oftentimes you know i'll read about my favorite records getting made and they'll say like well we had to take some money from the doobie brothers project to pay for this project and da 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 in our case, I will say that a good portion of the promotion that we had to do for Things Fall Apart, the videos we had to do, the promotions, the ads we had to take out, all those things, definitely our A&R said, you guys better be lucky for Shaggy's success because this is how we're paying for your budget. So, <laughs> you, know, you know what it is, too, Quest? It was, a, it was a very strange climate. That whole company was a strange climate. You know, it was you really didn't have an urban department. We um, did. In, in that company. A lot of people need to know that. It, it was very pop based. And um, I was lucky to have these records that started as none of those songs were singles. They were mm -hmm. never picked as single, but they ended up becoming big pop records and really saved me because when I came in there, I you know, there was no, but I wasn't the same space as the roots you know i was not i wasn't getting budgets either it just so happened that we had a song i was right at the minute to be dropped and then because the first two single came out was dance and shout and hope and they flopped mm -hmm. and and a dj out of hawaii started to play it wasn't me after the fifth play it just lit up his phone and it just continued to spread and that's what saved my ass because i was about to be on the chopping block you know just like just like you guys it was just right. what it was and they weren't planning to spend money because it was just not a company that really was focused around marketing urban music mm -hmm. i just it was just not that kind of a climate in that company it wasn't it wasn't that and did your and, record uh, skip the line and go right to pop right because that was it felt like yes, it didn't have right yes. it, it, it actually went to pop and then came back to urban uh, yeah, it's just it's just you know, it was like it became pop, and then you know the the but you know what what is it the clubs was fucking with it so much that you know urban radio say well you know if the club is doing we might as well play it you know we know the you know we know the white stations is playing it yeah you know but really and truly you know in every ghetto club they saying it wasn't me so yeah let, let me rock with it you know what I'm saying and if you think about it Angel wasn't as lucky mm -hmm. Angel continued to stay pop and didn't get back didn't go back in because it, it was never a club joint. So it didn't really connect like that. You know, mm -hmm. while Bombastic also from a previous album, that was also club and then ended up going to pop, pop. and then urban urban start playing it again. So it was just a strange climate at that time, especially for reggae. Who was that DJ? Because that DJ is also the one that the one in Hawaii is also the one that broke yeah. all my life for Casey and Jojo. Casey and Jojo. Yep. They had the same, same situation DJ. where they were about to, you know. The album's about to flop, and then, and that, and that's the thing. Like, I don't think. Well, I mean, Laie can also explain it. Since like '97, there was one movie that came out that sort of explained how radio works, called "Before the Music Dies," 
Uh, that came out like 2004, but you know, 97 when I, I guess what what I can call the clear channel era of radio comes into play, where now people have to pre-program the music like right. weeks weeks ahead of time. No, it's blowing my mind because I'm like pop pop DJs don't break records, right? So the fact right. that this one did and then broke these two black records that circle back to black radio when black radio usually starts, it's it's blowing. It's a mind blower. Yeah, I, well, <clears throat> actually, like, let me ask you, because, I mean, I, I know you haven't been on terrestrial radio for a minute, but mm -hmm. just at, during the time period when you were on radio, like, how far advanced, like, when do they actually start feeding the machine and saying, like, okay, we're going to play this Beyonce song 14 times a day, and they pick this specific time. Like, they do playlists. Yeah, like, yeah. When, when does that programming start? I mean, you know, it's a process. It's also like record reps coming to the station from that was a big thing, you know, when it comes to y'all being represented in a way. Right. It's like what, what the record rep is selling, what's their priority. And then once it's the priority, depending on the artist, sometimes since it's a priority and it's an artist and maybe the label, you know, it's all kind of dynamics. But it's never it's never Shaggy has always been different in that way because it's never been pop breaking records and just naturally yeah. that happening. That's a natural thing. And that doesn't happen. Right, Shaggy? I think a lot of it boils down to the demographic. You know what I mean? When you look at, at that time, they're going to look at what urban music is selling, you know, and mm. then they're going to look at what reggae is. Now, there's a big argument now where you say that reggae is, you know, less than 5% of the, the global market share, you know? Mm. So you can't expect any major company or any company to be putting major money into any act that is less than 5% of the market share. My mm -hmm. argument to that is when has it ever not been less than 5%? Right. You know, when I, when I was selling 40 million records, I, it was 3%, you know, after me, then you had Sean Paul and everybody, it became popular before then it was never on radio. Right. I was the guy that got it on radio. So it was always, less than 5%. You know what I mean? Nothing has ever changed on that. And these record companies, they invest based on that. So it's not gut. It's, you know, so when when I'm doing these numbers and they're like, oh shit, we didn't know that could happen. And so right. they ended up chasing. Now, you sell 10 million records, you would think they're going to be like, well, you know, he just did it. Let's try, let's invest again and do that. They're looking at it like, yeah, that ain't going to never That's a one-off. Yeah, That's a one-off. Yeah. They're going to think of it as that. Now, where we are now today, you're seeing other genres as sort of with the DNA of dancehall and reggae. Like, I, I know that uh, African uh, music. African. Okay, so yeah. I, I have to call West African? I mean, I'm just saying if you, a lot of it is from. Well, okay. Nigeria. Now we're okay. going to get into Afrobeat versus Afrobeats, and I want no parts of that. <laughs> All but, right, but what yeah, I'm basically yeah. asking is, like, between reggaeton and West African music and now with dancehall, are you finding it now, are people generally trying to lump like an entire genre of non-Americanized rap, non-Americanized pop into this uh, mold that you now have to fit into in 2022? Mm -hmm. Where say, you know, the average Joe from Kansas might not know the difference between the music that you're doing and the music that Jay Balvin's doing, and the music that Bad Bunny, oh. yeah, yeah, or, or Bad Bunny, or or you know, or whoever is. What's so crazy is that you know, there's a history, 
on right. this. You know, uh, Daddy Yankee called me um, mm. sometime last year and asked me because there was a a documentary being shot, supposed to be on Netflix, that really talks about reggaeton. Mm. He couldn't tell the story of reggaeton because he wasn't there. It was before him, but he knew that he knew that I know. You know what I mean? So I and 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 the starting of reggaeton started by a guy by the name of El Gringo, mm. out of out up from Puerto Rico, out of Brooklyn. Okay. And El and El Gringo, he went to prison. Okay. And then there and then El Genero, right, ended up doing dancehall records in Spanish, right, which was put out on VP. And there yeah. was a guy, Carl Miller who literally was the guy that was producing these songs for VP Records. El Enero ended up blowing up. Now, the crazy part about it is El Enero and I went to Erasmus Hall in Brooklyn. And we would mm. be in the lunchroom. And the lunchroom had the Puerto Rican clique, the Panamanian clique, the Jamaican clique, <laughs> you know what I mean? The Haitian clique. And we would be on the book benches and we would be... And spit freestyles, and people would get around, right? Exactly. And Elena would be over there doing the same thing in Spanish, out of out of there. And so him and I—that's how we became friends because I used to spit it on the bench, and he'd be over there. And then he started to make these dance, all these old Shabarangs records. Now the beat of reggaeton is called dembow. You should mm. you know that quest, right? Dude, so it's dude, called dude, it's called. Yes, exactly. Dembo, Now, dembo, dembo. It, it comes from it comes it comes from Shabarang's Dembow. Now, Elenaral and them used to do these reggae records, these dancehall records over in Spanish, and that became Spanish reggae. Carl at VP ended up calling it reggaeton. Mm -hmm. And through mispronunciation over there it became reggaeton, reggaeton, reggaeton. Mm -hmm. That is the beginning of what is reggaeton. Which started out of that. Do you see our faces right now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Prior to uh, uh, like uh, Tego Calderon and those guys, was that where Tego was after? Tego was after. There was a guy up out of out of Bronx called Gungi Rivera, who used to have these big nightclubs, and he was the one that used to promote a lot of these Spanish reggae acts. Right, that used to be in uh, uptown around that time. Okay, Gungi was a was a major force in the development of it. You know what I mean? And that was what it is. Are you in this documentary? Did oh, yeah. Just call well, yeah. Okay. They, they call me to, to, to tell the story because, you know, in fairness to a lot of these newer acts, they don't know that story. So you literally were there to witness, like, the incubation? Yeah, I was there through the whole thing. I, I, I was part of the whole thing. This is, why I'm, started. this is why I'm excited. Saggy's a national treasure. Why doesn't the world know this? Nobody asked. But it is documented. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you it is true. Now, say say for instance, when we did Afrobeat now, let's go to the to the Africa, West Africa, as you would say. Um, <laughs> I, I used to go to Uganda, Kenya, Tanzania, all these places, and I would play stadiums because the main music of of those country was dance off. It was not Zouk or or you you wasn't here in Felakute or any of these guys. It was dance hall in the streets, in the clubs of Nigeria or any any of these places. It's dance hall, and so we would go. I would go there, play stadiums, and a lot of these artists would would open. Okay, for us, you know, you're talking 
a lot of these artists that you see a big art, the Afrobeat mm-hmm. artist opens on a lot of shows for us down there. Wow. You know what I mean? We could go back even further when you look at, you know, there's a lot of opening. You're talking about the Spice Girl open for Shaggy in, in Bombastic <laughs> Oh, shoot. You know what wow. I mean? Wow. I mean, uh, um, in, in sync, we used to do road shows in Europe at that mm-hmm. time where they opened for us. So it's it's been a Get this man his Kennedy Center honor. <laughs> <laughs> It's been a whole journey of of how that that begun because I've been doing it for thirty odd years, you know, of of of, of doing that. So in the Afrobeat, if you listen, it, it is really influenced by dancehall, right? Even though they've developed their own sound, right? But it, but it was really kind of influenced from that. What is what is the correlation or the I guess the relationship between like dancehall and also what is uh, called lovers rock? Like I guess the so Lovers Rock, okay, so if you look at what Jamaican music started from, it started from uh, a beat called Mento, Mento into Ska, Ska into what's known as Rocksteady. <laughs> exactly, and it, it's really yeah. about the shuffle that makes it go, chick, 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 and then there you go reggae, chick, 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 it's a different vibe of how it's done. It's really about the tempo and the feel of it that moves it from a ska to a rock steady. And rock steady is out of rock steady came what is known as lover's rock. What lover's rock is, it's that one drop reggae and people sing these beautiful love songs. And why it became lover's rock is because they used to do a lot of covers. Like a lot of these big reggae songs were covered. Take, for instance, you look at, Let's just go. Let's just go. Even one of the biggest, all right. And these are white boys, and and it it, it blew up because they're white boys, but it also blew up because they were just great covers. Red Red Wine, oh, yeah. UB forty by, yeah. by UB forty was originally Neil Diamond that, oh, that wow. did Red Red, but they did it over in reggae, and it became now Neil Diamond when he's singing, he does a reggae version. <laughs> right, he better. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. We acknowledge. I didn't even know that was a cover. I didn't know that was his record. Sounds yeah. like I I can't help falling in love. You right. Know, right, uh, right, 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 right. Was was Elvis Presley, but was done by UB40. Then then you have the other flip side of it. You know, like girls just want to have fun. Cindy Lauper was bass, drum and bass. Drum and bass was done by Sly and Robbie. Oh, which was two of two of the biggest. You know what I mean? So there's there's a lot. Jimmy You're telling me that Sly and Robbie are the rhythm section? They're the rhythm. There were session musicians in 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 uh in America. No, no, that no, no, time. no. I know that, but I could have thought Philly's own the Hooters. Well, I know they wrote it, but they I didn't it. know. But the drum and bass of it, the groove of that was Sly and Robbie. That's why Cindy Mother, ended up yo, going back. Yo, you go get that bass. knowledge, yo. Yes, listen. <laughs> you, you might have to join Questlove Supreme. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, even with, with with songs like, of course, you know, Stevie Wonder wrote a lot of 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 couple of songs for uh for Third World also. Yes, mm-hmm. Try right. Love and. Uh... Right. Yes. Yes. Right. And a lot of people think that now that we find love, which was done by Heavy D, which was also made popular by Third World, but right. the original, the original was the OJs. The OJs. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. We give. Yeah. 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 So, so it, it's it's when you think of a, the, the the blend of music, or how stuff is, and even those early Grace Jones records, which were which were, which were Sly and Robbie also. Mm-hmm. Sly and Robbie. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, you know I mean, yeah. Uh, compass point. When Guthrie. So you look at 
the, the building of Island Records and, and what it is was, was reggae-based. You look at somebody like Chris Blackwell, who founded mm. YouTube, and YouTube was a it was a um YouTube was a folk band when he discovered those guys and yeah. he transformed them into a rock band. You know, it was kind of a Christian style folk band. Wait, you're dropping so many bombs right now, just to make sure. You said Gwen Guthrie, so you're saying ain't nothing going on but the rent is also it's Sly, Robbie. Sly Robbie. Yes. Damn. Yes. yes. Wow. Yes. Ain't no. Yes. Ah, damn. That makes total sense, man. Yeah. Yo. Okay. Wait. I. Ah, I, I want get... more education, but right, I gotta yeah. know your your life. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What was your very first musical memory? My first musical memory was my grandmother used to play we were from a poor neighborhood in kingston uh, raytown and from a place called um a small fishing village in raytown where i was on charlotte street we lived in one room my grandmother used to play a lot of radio because we didn't have television and i as a okay. kid used used to think that the guy was in the radio singing i i had no idea there was records <laughs> <laughs> 
I used to listen to these really wonderful records, but I remember writing my own song and it's called You're Mine. My very first song, I was probably, I'd say around eight, nine years old or some shit. And I said, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. You're really, really mine. And my love, come our love, is everlasting. You're free to light a human flower. You light up my life every hour. And as long as, I can't remember the, the lyrics after that, but that was my first thing I ever written just in my head by listening to the radio. So the radio was a comfort for me where music was concerned. And I just really listened to all of those songs. And there were songs like Mahalia Jackson was a big thing in my house. Even early songs like, I don't know if you know, you, you guys are familiar with Toots and the Maytals. Toots and the Maytals, absolutely. I'm yeah, on yeah, this record. You know, uh, yeah, exactly. You're a big Toots fan, my grandmother was. You know what I mean? So a lot of these records, Bing Crosby was a big thing. Nat King Cole was a big thing in my in my household. So on Sundays in Jamaica, it goes that type of music goes well with chicken and rice and peas, which is when we were doing these Sinatra <laughs> records. These Sinatra records, you know, were repertoires that I listened to and were grown up on Sundays because reggae uh, in Jamaica didn't start play till the I would say probably around the eighties. Somebody told me that in Jamaica, that's their the first big superstar in Jamaica was like Bob Marley for real. Like they were like for real. No, that that's no 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 like no, no, big no, no. large I, I, large largest yeah. well, largest. He's the, he's the lar yeah he's the he's the largest one. But there were people like for instance, reggae music was looked down on. It was ah. looked as ghetto. I was going to ask it, how how does that work yeah. with? Okay, every American, every Jamaican that I know is super, super conservative. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. you know, I, I always wanted to know how did Jamaican natives that are like the parents of my Jamaican friends who are strictly Christian, don't like, you know, uh, secular music and all that stuff. How does that mesh in with the culture of like Bob Marley and, mm -hmm. and Rastafari? And the feeling, like, was that the gangster rap of the time? or No. Any Jamaican you know that is in that kind of a IT tighty, for the lack of a better word, kind of a person, they were uptowners. So there's two things. There's downtown and there's uptown. The uptown are the more privileged class of people. You know what I'm okay. saying? There's the crazy story that Bob Marley lived on a street called Hope Road, where is where Tough Gong is. Back mm -hmm. in the days... That's the same street that the king's house is, which is where the queen's resident is. Oh, that's where that's, that's the same. That's the same street that the that the prime minister's residences are. You know, what I mean, when you look when you look at it, that house that Bob Marley lived in, Fifty Six Hope Road, was actually purchased by Chris Blackwell, which was a white Jamaican that lived around the corner at a place called Terra Nova, that is now a hotel, which was his his original home. So it took it took a British, well, a Jamaican white guy to actually buy that because there's a Rastafarian. Bob wouldn't have been able to purchase that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it was because it was what's known as classism in Jamaica back in them days. So <laughs> that's a, when you look at Yellow Man and these guys, those guys yeah. at one point in Jamaica, if you were a certain color, you couldn't come past the halfway tree 
clock because that's how it was. Because you ain't from that class. After a certain hour, you're not up, up there. This is this is years. Oh, because to be from that class, you had to be lighter and more affiliated with exactly. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm I'm from the. Wait, is this the British rule so or I, the Jamaican or Jamaican rule? It's okay. just it's just if you're talking about colonialism. Yeah. Okay. You know, from that that's inherited down. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So as it goes, you see people coming into all of this where you see uptowners now started to do dance off. You know what I'm saying? Like, like for, take for instance, like a Sean Paul is a up, he's he's from the uptown. Okay. A Juna Gang is from the uptown because mm-hmm. those guys are from parents that, you know, when Bob Marley made money, he went to Hope Road. That's uptown. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Gang, a guy like Juna Gang would go to, you know, a, a good school and goes there. While another set of people now, they're from the streets of the streets, the hood of the hood. You talk about Seaview mm-hmm. Garden, Tivoli Gardens, you talk about the hood, the hood, the hood. You know what I'm saying? But after a while, it's kind of became one. When 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 the Uptown kids started to do it, then it started to become accepted. You mentioned Yellow Man earlier, and I've read uh, mm-hmm. some like stuff about him, uh, just about how some of the struggles he faced, like being because he was albino and like he was albino. The cr- the crazy thing about Yellow Man. Is is here's an albino guy. That's the guy that made me want to get into music. That's right. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Right, because I saw I went to a dance at Skateland, which is a popular venue, and he spit his lyrics mm-hmm. and walked out. Yeah, well, some other <laughs> sort of joke. I think it was Eyes Getting Married. He had all the big records at the time. Yeah, yeah. Walked and spit his lyric and walk out, and the whole dance walked out with him. I was like, damn, I want to be that guy. <laughs> you know, but but the crazy thing that he was an albino, you yeah. know what I mean, which is also looked down at in Jamaica. No, you know, he's like, oh, and they call him, and he was at a place called Poor House at the time, which is mm-hmm. kind of a, an orphanage in a way that where mm-hmm. he came oh, from, wow. right? And he rose out of that to become one of the superstar. Now I always say to shift culture, it takes a superstar. That means a star with superhero like talent. Charisma, work mm-hmm. ethic, charm, right? To shift talent. Because if you look at Yellow Man, he didn't have a movement behind him, but the mm-hmm. world stopped and took notice because he was a superstar, a star with superhero like talent. Shabaranks, he walked in the room, you want to know who the fuck is that? That's mm-hmm. a superstar. You got stars, and stars will, okay, promote culture, but are they going to shift culture? You know what I'm saying? And those are the guys that ship culture with superhero-like talent, right? Where they don't need lights and they don't need cranes throwing them out. They don't even need a record company spending money. They just got that shit, that swag. They walk in <laughs> and they open them door. Everybody be like, who the fuck is that? That motherfucker is the shit. That's what those guys are. Those are, that's the start. And you had people who knew how to find those. If you look at, say you look at everybody, say you look at all the billionaires now. Mm-hmm. You look at and question you could understand this. You got Kanye, and then you what got me. No, no, but you could understand. You're gonna understand what I'm saying. No, I, I'm right? playing with you. I'm playing yeah. with you. So you got you got Kanye and you got Rihanna. Both of them are billionaires or whatever, right? Who is their Lego? Jay. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And you look at you look at Nikki and you look at Drake. Who is their Lego? Wayne. Wayne. Okay. You look at Fifty. <clears throat> you look at Eminem. You look you look at um. Uh, uh, a Snoop, who is his Lego? There Drake. Drake. You look at Alicia Keys. Alicia Keys, arguably one of the greatest, you know, songwriter, singer, songwriter, 
But let's let's face it. She got Clive Davis, her first. She had to. She didn't have to ever worry like me and you, Quest, where we got to sit down and worry about whether we got budgets or we got marketing. And she got all of that. Clive made sure she had all that. And guess what? Her first interview was Oprah. (laughs) 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 And and if you think about it, now who is our leg up? Shaggy was our leg up. So (laughs) Ricky guys in the half leg. Ricky guys in the half the leg up. You know what I'm saying? So, and I'm not against the leg up. I'm I'm for it. You know what I'm saying? But in our culture, there there have not been those opportunities a lot. Well, you're giving the layer. You're giving it now. So. Oh, that's all I do. If yeah. you look at the pa- if you look at the pattern of things that I do, my the, I did uh, summertime with an unknown artist named Rayvon, right? I did. It wasn't me with an unknown artist named Rickra. I did Angel with an unknown artist named Rayvon. I did I Need Your Love with two unknown artists named Mahambi and Fady. I did Banana with an un- which is the the billion dollar the two billion mm-hmm. stream on TikTok with an unknown artist named named Conqueror. And then I just did Spice at 150 million streams. With, with that. So I always look for that. Yeah, I look for those records, those artists that have that thing. And I go and I put that, that in there and I make those type of records because I'm not privileged to have budgets <laughs> and rollouts. You know what I'm saying? So I just do what I can. <laughs> I this is already one of the it's a half hour in. It's probably one of the greatest educations that I've had of, of 2022. Yeah. Mm-hmm, for real. From a person that's watched the harder they fall like a billion times oh. is okay. So if if you are trying to establish yourself and not go to, to America, there's a difference between you know, half half of the hip hop world came from Jamaica, but they had to come to New York first to to shine. Yeah. But if you're in Jamaica and you want to get put on, what is the route? Like, what's, can you walk me through? Now, I know it's different now because of like digital colonialism. Like, you could do one viral thing on YouTube and then maybe make it. But say, okay, in the 80s, if you want to get put on, how does, what, what's the, what's the, the, the maze, the, the sort of, yeah, the circuit. Absolutely. The, optimal, the, the journey. The journey. <laughs> yes. yes. Well, to me, I'm glad you said now and then because it's totally different now than what it was yeah. then. You know, um, back then it was highly, it was highly dependent on the sound system. Hmm. So the sound system was where you would go and freestyle. This is where where Supercat these guys come from. So you have the Kilimanjaro, you have King Tubbies, you have Jammy Sound System. You have all these sound systems. Those sound systems were what the ghetto kids could get on and spit. So they'll have these street dances. And on these street dances, if anybody, if you were good in the neighborhood and, you, and, and you're spitting on the streets and people are hearing you, you create your little fan base. And it was, once the community know you get on that mic and you get heard, you know what I mean? They used to have a thing called a Tasty's Talent Contest, which was also a big way for people to get... Um, discovered back in Jamaica, back in the early days. You know what I mean? So the sound system was where it was, where because I even started, I started on a sound system out of Brooklyn too at the same time. That's how I ended up on Gibraltar sound system and created my buzz within Brooklyn where I was at, you know, Starlight Ballroom, Biltmore Ballroom, all of this at that time and created my own little buzz and my own little name when I started doing Big Up and Mompe and all those records. You know what I'm saying? But I started from on sound system. So that was it. Nowadays, they got this. 
Right. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you don't need to, you know, like these kids, artists now don't do work. Like, you know, like, you, know you when you was promoting the roots, I'm sure you traveled all over the world and did regional radio and mm-hmm. shit like that. You know what I'm saying? I they don't do that now. They do a click of the button and say, "Hey, there, there goes promo." <laughs> yeah, but it's a different challenge. I mean, they don't. We don't do like the radio and stuff. But it is you can press that click of a button. But the bottleneck is now everyone can press that button. So now you're fighting for the attention, even if you don't, you know, have the budgets or whatever. Yeah, you're still or the talent, for the attention, or the talent, right? You're just yeah. fighting for the attention because everyone. But, is, but you see, I I disagree in so in one right. sense. I agree that there's a lot of them, but if you're a true talent, you could get through. Because if you look at it, there's a lot of bullshit. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If, if you if you one of those guys that I'm saying you say that when you walk in, you ain't got to get your shit. You be like, who the fuck is that? You're gonna know. You you, you know it's just gonna. It's like when you saw Coffee did that freestyle, and everybody looked up when she was on BBC One Extra. And she did that freestyle beside Chronics, and you're like, "Who the fuck is that?" Mm-hmm. It, yeah. You know what I mean? You, your curiosity just jumped. And she, all she did was one freestyle. She didn't do nothing crazy, she, but it was just so special. You wanted to know who the hell that was. Oh, yeah. And and so no matter, you'll get through the clutter if you're that good. And you have to be. Yeah, that's. You yeah. just gotta be gotta that. Be. I always tell people, artists, I said, "You want to cut through the clutter? You gotta perfect your craft." Yeah. Yeah. What does that entail in terms of reggae culture? Like I know in hip hop culture, you know, the very beginning, Tariq spent a lot of time in dictionary learning words he never knew before, <laughs> you know, constantly. Like what's what's impressive for a dance hall artist to, is it melodic uh, delivery? Is it words? Is it the rhythm that he happens to be rhyming over? Like what? It's really what you bring to the. You just said Tariq. He he studied the dictionary. That was what he brought to the table. That was different from everybody else. It's really what you're bringing to the table, right? To to set you apart because everybody could sit there and say they're going to spit lyrics, but what is that that special little style that you're going to bring that's going to set you apart? For me, yeah, I was lyrical, but I also had this voice. Yeah, love a love a one time bombastic romantic. Yeah, that that rare rare rare. That shit just set me the fuck apart. You wait, know, that, so was, where, that was wait, that was recognizable. <laughs> that was recogn- stop. Say something. Stop. Wait, wait, wait stop. Wait. Wait. How did you develop that voice? I I was in the military. I used to run in sing cadences. This is the story I've been used, waiting for. Okay. Yeah, I used to run and see and say, I don't know, but I've been told yeah. my CEO is panty. I was like, used to sing because the drill instructors would talk to you like that. Hey, boy, drop and give it 20, boy. You know, they put that voice on. So I used to mock them as 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 a joke because it made That's my where that voice came from. <laughs> That's where that voice instructor. came from. I swear to God. 20 minutes then, later. <laughs> Man, wait till I tell Higgins this, Steve. <laughs> yeah, and then, the, and then the crazy part is, I ended up singing. I, I ended up doing "Oh Carolina" in that voice. Yeah. Oh Car- because if yeah. you listen, all right, if you ever listen to that song called "Big Up," "Big Up," "Big Up," "Big Up," "Big Up." Notice, notice that's a that's a different tone of voice than the "Oh Carolina." Yeah, if you find your bar expensive, I forgot that was you. Yeah, put down and I hear another "Big Up." Right, that record is a different tone of voice. 
you know? And then oh. I went ahead and did that. Y'all, <laughs> I didn't already fell on the floor before y'all even got on the line. I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm blocked. I mean, I, my mind, he's talking about that. The, it come from a Southern. He took a Southern, Amir. Wow. <laughs> you, you took a Southern dialect, like, like a drill sergeant. I, yeah. Wow. The, the more, you know, and just kind of worked up, worked with that. So when, when did you move to the United States? I was, I came to you, I was in 1985. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, so you came to the States specifically to go to the army? No, I came to the States. My mom was a journalist in Jamaica, the, 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 the main um, newspaper here called the Gleaner, the Daily Gleaner. And my mother, she migrated to the States and I'm being, an, I'm an only child. So I ended up coming to America with her uh, years afterwards when I was living with my grandmother in Jamaica. And in 1985, I, I came up and it was a culture shock. I lived at, on in New York Avenue between Tilden and Beverly in a building called the Irma. Can't remember it. And I went to Erasmus Hall. And um, I just kind of, it was a shock, a culture shock because I, I'm seeing snow. And I, I think what shocked me the most was that people did their laundries in laundromats. <laughs> Because um, I, I could, I couldn't because we did it in our backyard and we hung it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I couldn't believe that people would let people touch their drawers, like they would fold drawers and shit. I, I that I would, I was embarrassed when I went to the the laundromat with my mother because I, people were seeing my drawers. I was like, I couldn't believe that. <laughs> I was just, I was just raised different. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it was like you. You you gonna just you gonna just fold your drawers in front of everybody like that? What the fuck? Yeah, yeah you know. So to me, it was like that. So it was a it was a big culture shock, but it was also a melting pot because I didn't know there were Haitians, and I didn't know there were Trinidadians. I didn't know that there were Panamanians. I didn't know. I just knew Jamaica, and then I start to figure out different people's cultures and realize that they all were similar and that you know a lot of them really embodied dance all and reggae and, and I was a kid that really soaked all of that up. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How did uh, witnessing American hip-hop affect you when you got here? I went to Erasmus that had a lot of, like, special ed was there. It had a lot of rappers that came out of that school. So hip hop was a part, it was a beatbox era. So it's, you know, um, Slick Rick was Jamaican, you know, uh, Dougie Fresh was, it, it was that whole vibe. So oh, yeah, that's the, cool. the, all that shit, it was things <laughs> that I was like, you know, so that even when you guys had Rozelle, you know, that I was a big fan of Rozelle because, you know, he did that shit. You know I mean? I think, right. I think when, when we Houston died, we were at the, uh, um, uh, the same day. House of House Blues, of Blues. And, that, yeah. and, that was, and that when we did um, a little freestyle thing with, with Rozelle at that yeah. time. So I that was into hip hop from that point. Of course, then I, I ended up knowing Cool Herc down the line and and realized how the whole thing come. But so wait, what high school? What high school was this? Erasmus Hall. It's the second high uh, uh, oldest high school in the United States. It's actually the high school that Clive Davis started Ar- Arista out of. And where Barbara Streisand graduated from, a lot of Damn. huge, huge Damn. superstars named there. It's in the heart of Flatbush. It's right on Flatbush Avenue in church. You know what okay. I'm saying? And that's where, that's in Brooklyn. That's where I, I was, I was at. And that whole vibe, you know, is just where this, this whole energy came from. You came here in '85, so I guess you were 16. Yeah, 16, 16. Yeah. All right. So what were your by that point, what were your life goals in terms of I wanted to be popular because because my 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 mother dressed me funny, you know. What's she's that mean? Old okay. school. Well, she's so they would tease you in school. Yeah, it's an old school Jamaican woman that you know, she she would give me her jacket, you know, and the shit got pink in it and <laughs> light blue and shit. And you know, <laughs> the fuck I know, you know, she poor. She you know, you know. All right. I'm going to school, you know, I wonder why nobody is you know is being friends with me, you know, except the Haitian kids that he dressed worse than me. So, <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> so, so, but after a while, I had once I started doing was fitting lyrics, I became popular, and I realized that if I, I started to I see a little cutie, I talk about her hair, you know, you know, or bamboo hair earrings, and you know, I had to talk about her boots and her sheepskin sh- jacket, and you know, I talk about all of that and spitting a rhyme, I get a number, and I realized. Oh shit! <laughs> I get chicks like this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. And and I did music. I wish I could say something deeper than that, but I really pussy like that. Um, <laughs> I got into music because <laughs> I wanted to get laid. You know. Oh, and I realized. Hey, I think that's why everyone. You dude, ain't alone, bro. Yeah, bro. You're not bro, alone, <laughs> bro. I realized that I spit lyrics. I was a ghetto superstar. I got these local hits. I got into clubs for free. I drink for free, and I walked out with the hottest chick. And I was in heaven. I was like, <laughs> this is what I want to do. So for me, you know, I love what Yellow Man did, and I was fascinated by that. But when I was in Brooklyn, there was no real outlet for dancehall. So my mother was like, "You need to go do something with yourself." And so I started to sell drugs. You know, I started to sell weed. You know, I was on Clark's on Nostrand, you know what I mean? And then I had a little spot down at Gates Avenue. So you got into weed and coke and started 
you know, hustling. That's mm. what that's what because every Jamaican I know, all my uncles, they're all hustlers. So I mean, you mm. got to Especially in New you York, know? they had the good weed, all the Jamaicans. Hell yeah. Yep. Mm. Hell yeah. And until after a while, motherfuckers oh, start yeah. getting locked, start getting locked up, and you'd be like, okay, I gotta get out of this shit. You know, and so and so I went into the military. That's how I ended up in the military. I walked down at Flatbush Avenue at the junction and walked in and looked at all of the uniforms and looked at the Marines and said, Yeah, I could get some chicks in that. I can get laid in that. I want to do this. The hardest yeah. one, the Marines. Knows, the hardest one, yeah, why, knows, would you, like the, why would you I choose the hardest? I didn't know. Uh, I just, I, the uniform looked the best, though. Because <laughs> yeah. cause really, cause really, if you think about it, who wants to be in the, in, in the Navy? They were bell bottoms, bro. Right. Like, I'm going right. to be walking around a bell bottom. You know, the Air Force ah. got that little thing that looked like a blouse. <laughs> you are so Jamaican right now. I So for me, the Marines just look like that, you know, that that dress blue shit and that, yo, bro, I was like, yo, that shit, like, I won't do that. And then this guy called Perez, uh, Sergeant Perez, I remember his name that come in and was like, yo, you know, he was my recruiter. Yeah, I said, I want to get out of here by next week. It was like, oh, I can't get you out this week. I'll get you two weeks from now. I was like, yeah, if I ain't going out next week, I ain't going. And he, you know, kind of worked some things. I ended up going to two weeks after that. So anyway. wait, where did you go? And then when did you realize that you was in the Marines and that was different? I didn't know I was in the Marines because I passed all the tests. Right. And I went to North Carolina on a bus. Okay. Ah, you the Camp Lejeune? Yeah, Camp Lejeune stepped out on them yellow footprints and they just start scream, screaming in my face. Yeah, North, North Carolina. Yeah. So I would set them on them yellow footprints and they just start screaming at me and spitting, chewing tobacco. And I, it was, you know, so I chucked them because I'm, I'm from Brooklyn. I was like, oh, boy, I caught them up here. And I see like six of them come down on me. I was like, OK, that's a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> As a teenager, were you super rebellious? Like, what is it to be in the American army, like in terms of like, do you realize like, okay, this is something that has a lot of discipline in it. We got to wake up at four, five in the morning, do a bunch of, or at least this is what I see on television. But being an only child uh, of a very strict mother, I was, I was very good. Like I, so you like, used to this come, already. Yeah. I would come home from school and I'd be the only person. So I knew where the key was on the, on the, the map. I'd go in, I'd make myself a sandwich. I'd do my homework because my mom would whoop ass. It Man. wasn't, you know, my, my mom would send you for the shit to whoop your ass. You know, she'd be like, the uh, go get, oh, yeah, yeah, that's one of them shit. Uh, yeah, she'd go, go get that oh, shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and it, yeah. and the beatings was not, it was, you know, them was legendary ass whooping. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. I was raised on that. So for me, coming to America, I was always very disciplined and on it. I really didn't get into too many trouble, but I also liked nice things. And I and I wanted to be fly, and I wanted to be, you know, what I mean. So if 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 I I worked at Baskin Robbins for one day, mm. you know, oh. I, I, I had a little apron on, a little thing, and the chick, there was a hot Puerto Rican chick came in, and she wanted, you know, started asking. I mean, me just scooping her ice cream just didn't look cool. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I was like, this ain't me, yo. So I was out. <laughs> Shaggy, how far did you get? And you really, your hands registered as weapons? I don't know if my hands are, are registered as, as weapon, but I, I was in the first Gulf War. 
I did yeah, I was seven, about to say that you, seven you months. You were in Desert yeah. Shield and Desert Storm. Des, Des, Desert Storm, yeah. And, Much and, respect. Um, my, my, my bad. Much respect. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I did four years, but mm. I didn't come out. It's funny. I didn't come out as a model Marine. I came out one above a private. I got demoted twice. Wait, demoted? Yeah. How Why does one get that? demoted? For, for AWOL, because I, I, would, I would drive from North Carolina to New York every weekend and you're not supposed to go outside of a 50 mile radius uh, and i would drive i would dri- I, I did old carolina and big up in my uniform on a weekend and went back in uh, on soup circle uh in on 42nd street they had this thing called soup circles where you jump in the van and they take you back and uh, so i did those records in my uniform you wow. know what i mean and i would drive and if i drive i drive down in my uniform so that most of the, the state troopers were ex-military. So uh-huh. if they stop they, you, they'd be yeah. like, okay, slow down, Marine, and let you, and, go. And let you uh-huh. go. So I would always drive in my uniform. And I'd come to and link up with Sting International, who was a DJ out of Brooklyn at the time and you know, and was my early producer. And we would make records and I'd go right back in. So my early records like Mompy and those songs, when they happened, I was in the military. I didn't even know they were hot in Brooklyn. They were just hot. Wow. And were those records put out on a label or how did the business work? Yeah, there was a little, there was a little, there was a guy called Ben Sokolov. His brother was Will Sokolov. Will Sokolov had, had the sleeping bag label. Yes, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah. So, so, so I did a record called Gunshot, which was a big record that was blowing up on uh, Sleeping. Jazzy Jeff would know about that record because he loved that. I know about Gunshot. Yeah. So I know about Gunshot. Right. And that was on Sleeping Bag. And Ben Sokolov was his brother that had his label called Signet. And then I would put all those early records like Big Up and Monte, all those records came out. Even Old Carolina came out uh, initially on Signet. Yeah. But then he tried. He tried. So when I got I got signed for a million dollars in 1993, the biggest amount in the history of dance on reggae at that time. And then he was trying to, you know, he was trying to do the EBGB on me, you know, mm-hmm. and we had, to, we had to cut that nigga loose. <laughs> we had to, Wait, we had to cut old boy loose. <laughs> Shag. Facts. I always wanted to know this because I don't, I don't know if I know of any musician that served in any of the, the, the Bush one era wars, but when they're going to send you guys to Kuwait, What's going through your mind? Because, you know, before that period, all we knew was Vietnam. And I think that America had this whole, like, never again. Like, we'll never get into another war ever again in this lifetime. And then, like, I remember, like, when they made the announcement, especially in 91, that, yeah, we're going to go to war. You know, that that, that was like a, I mean, now a a tragedy happens and then it's just like, uh, drop something, you know. Right. But, you know, back then it was like, yo, yeah, we're going to war. What's going to happen? So, yeah. like, in, in your mind, what were your thoughts? My thoughts at that point was to hate the dude that actually convinced me to go in the military. The guy called Mark. <laughs> I forgot his last name. He was my boy. He was like, oh, you got to go in the military. And then when I, when I signed up, he had tried to send a letter to me saying, don't come into this shit. Don't come into this shit. Oh, and I, wow. already, I was already done. I was like, that asshole. Here I am. People do 20 years in the military and they get a paycheck for the rest of their life. Right. I do four years and I'm in a fucking war. What? Wow. Like, what are the odds? And that's what was going through my mind. 
as far as my life is concerned, it really gave me an opportunity to be thankful or take a lot of things, not take a lot of things for granted. Like I used to take my mom's cooking for granted because I always think that I'm going to go to my next door neighbor's, his mom cooked better, you know what I'm saying, or whatever it mm-hmm. is. And and I would get up out of my bed and not not make it. Mm-hmm. When I was in the war, I was sleeping on a cot, you know, uh, or a sleeping bag. Or and and then I was eating MREs. MRE, you know, yeah. Re- yeah. Ready to eat. And, yes, and yeah, and then and I'd never What's MRE? a meals ready to eat. It's it's mm-hmm. like it's oh, like, them little pre made joints. Yeah, yeah pre made okay. process processed mm-hmm. military food. And then I would I would have to dig a hole to take a dump. And it's so much shit that hits you, then you realize that. Oh shit! You had a lot of things good that you didn't realize. So when I got out the military, I was a changed person in so many ways because I I realized what not to take for granted. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of yeah. things that really. So while I was in there, did I I didn't fear for my life so much because we were so gun ho about. And in the military, in, in the in the war, it was hurry up and wait. So literally, we fought the war for about two days. The rest of it was you know, running around and moving around. The, the two days of, two to three days of heavy fighting, then they yeah. stopped it was where it was in the shelling. And th- those three days was was crazy. We was, we moved, yeah. When you came back home, did you like have to go through any kind of therapy or counseling just to kind of react, readjust and react? Nah, no, nah, that was, that was the easiest war because you got, had low, it, it wasn't like Afghanistan or this place. Mm-hmm. You know, the Gulf War was a cakewalk compared to the rest of those, bro. You know what I mean? It was low casualty, and I get it. You know, we lost people, so one son or a daughter from a mom or a pop is not low casualty. Mm-hmm. But in, right, right. in 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 the pantry of things, yeah, yeah right. it it it's considered low low casualty. So I I got out, you know, unfazed by it, but in a way very thankful, very very appreciative, and very aware of how fortunate I am. You know, and I never look back. Once you once you sign the dotted line and the government owns you. Yeah. How fast can you get out of it? Like, I'm certain that in basic you training. You got to do your four years. No, you got to do your four years. Okay. It's high school, college. Unless you get kicked out. Unless you get kicked out. Yeah. And if you get kicked out, then, you know, you, you, you can't own, you can't hold any government jobs. You know what I mean? You, uh, it, it, there's so many things that you can't do once you get. Kicked out mm-hmm. of the military. Yeah. Right, yeah. got passport yeah. issues. Yeah. Government jobs, as in like yeah. garbage man too. Like even anything, police, anything, any. You can't do any of those, those things. There's certain things you just can't do when you're out. If you look at Walt Disney, when you always see Walt Disney sitting down, if you notice, there's always those pictures behind him. Mm-hmm. There was one that was upside down. That was his dishonorable discharge. Ah, wow. Oh, well, he did just <laughs> fine. All right. Hey. Hey. There, there's a major history of, like, Jimi Hendrix, Rick James, like, yeah, people that... I was not a model Marine. I came out one above a PFC. But if you go to Paris Holland now, my picture's like, Shaggy's a Marine. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> they, they sell me. Yeah, they use me yeah. to recruit these days. <laughs> How did you transition? Because, you know, being in the military, that's like very, you know, rigid. It's, you know, structured. You have, you know, time every day. 
how was the transition going into the music business where nothing is structured? Mm. How did you make that transition? I think it's what set me apart from everybody else, certainly in dancing. Had to. Um, you know, apart from me having a sound and a different style of music, I worked my ass off. Yeah, I was professional. I was on time. I I worked really hard and, you know, and um, it really set me apart from, from everybody else. That's that's what really did. So that transition wasn't hard because I was I was in the military doing that. Let it be known that uh, Shaggy might be the first QLS guest that showed up ten minutes early before the interview started. <laughs> I was uh, uh, I was in a I was uh, in a car on the way home from the Tonight Show, and they're like, "He's here already." I'm like, "Yo, man, I didn't even get to my apartment." Yet. Go ahead, go ahead, correct him, Shaggy. We should, go ahead, correct him. Fifteen minutes early, not not ten. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. He's making me do push-ups. Well, uh... <laughs> All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Shaggy, I always wanted to know this. Okay, so when I started to seriously DJ, especially, you know, there was the period where a lot of uh, the, the, I guess, the WP record compilation stuff started coming out. And basically, you know, you have a, a... a gazillion um okay first of all what would i call okay so if if someone looks at someone in hip-hop and the person that's doing the rhyme or whatever we'll say okay that's the mc that's the rapper Mm -hmm. yeah i know that technically you guys are djs but like what would you commonly call the person with the microphone in dancehall culture oh are you calling him an mc or a rapper no no dj DJ, DJ music. So we're, di- so we're a DJ. They used to call it back in the day, toasting. Toasting, like yeah. Brit- okay. like, like the British would call it toasting. But in, in, in dancehall culture in Jamaica, you say, yo, you use a DJ. To this DJ. day, my, my nickname is DJ. Well, like, who's oh the my guy God. In, in the back with the records? Who is he? 
selector. The selector. Right. I knew uh-huh. that. I was just testing everybody else. Yeah. Uh, I knew okay. that. Right. He's a selector. Yeah. <laughs> Come so, down, selector. I got you. Can you tell me the process, especially, you know, starting in at least 87, 88, when like dance hall is really, really finding its its legs. How do rhythms get distributed? Like, how are you guys aware that, yo, okay, let's let's take the most infamous one, which is the, the Sly and Robbie murder she wrote rhythm. Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, we live in a time where you can pick up your iPhone and something goes viral. But how are people aware that there is a new rhythm ready to be like ripe for business in which you know, I can rhyme over this or or not rhyme, or t- toast over this. <laughs> well, well, you know, that particular rhythm, a lot of people don't know that Robbie Shakespeare wasn't really on that. It was, mm-hmm. it was, it, it was really, it was really Sly. Now, Just but they're, Sly. A team, they're a team as Sly and Robbie, but it, right. it, Robbie really didn't play bass on that. It was really, it was really, and Robbie has been a very, very close friend of mine, um, for years you know but that rhythm itself you know it was made with with um chakademus and pliers mm-hmm. and 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 it, they did two songs on it i think pliers did bam bam which was a, a cover of the old toots just the, oh okay right bam bam record oh, and then and then they did murder she wrote and those were the two records first it didn't become a rhythm until after that where people Sly started to make it as a rhythm for other people to do and started doing different versions. Okay, I'm gonna just say it, you guys, because I'm gonna say it for the for the for the folks that don't know. Just tell them what the yeah. rhythm is. Tell them what the rhythm is. Rhythm, the, the background. The, so like, don't you notice like sometimes you'll hear the same song, you'll see yeah. it the same musical backdrop. Okay, with everybody. Okay. Like kind of for for a couple of, well, not a couple of years, way back. The uh the uh what was your girl? Lumi D, the yeah. Lumi D, right. That, right. The, and the, then, that was that's the Diwali rhythm. That's the Diwali rhythm. So the Wally rhythm is done by Lenky Marsden, who's also mm-hmm. a protege of Sly and Robbie, to be honest with you. Okay. And and Lenky Marsden is one of the arrangers on this new album with me and Sting. Uh, and so and uh, it, yeah, so he created that and did Sean Paul's um, um, "Get Busy" and all of those records. And mm. when he wanted to know letting go and all that. Yeah, yeah, man. So th- that that record that was a very popular rhythm too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm just asking from the musical standpoint. So say if I make a beat. Right, I produce something. Yeah, do I want everyone to rhyme over it? And am I getting paid? Like the person that does mm. the rhythm to uh, whatever, like when he does that rhythm, and then like thirty people are rhyming and releasing records on that rhythm. Am I getting paid thirty times, or am I just? Yes, you are. Okay. Oh, yes, you are. Because because Uh-oh. each song, oh, each song is a new composition. So Lumi D, oh, oh, is a different composition. Sean Paul, um, get busy, uh, get busy is a different composition. So Same is Wayne Wonder. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. Right. The, so there's no there's no like territorial pissing. Like I don't know. No. Like if I made something dope, like grinding it, by the clips. If the clips rhyme over mm-hmm. grinding. I would figure that Pharrell wouldn't want anyone else to have that musical backdrop except for the artist he intends it for. Yeah, but if you, uh, if I guess you're just you grabs, but but you if you if you in the business of money, you're gonna want to have dope. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
you know what I'm saying? You just jacking your shit, but if you're saying it, it, that, like, like, all right, take for instance, you got you, you got Sting did every breath you take, and then Puffy did it over with. Um, I'll be missing you. It's the same right. beat. Sting got paid twice, <laughs> and, <laughs> and now y'all just sound like it's Marion samples or Marion into the rhythm. Yeah, I, mean, I so, get it. You know, it's just, it's the same shit. You know what I mean? So if you, I want that to happen. Nowadays, it's not as popular to have rhythms again as much. You know, it's not. It doesn't dominate like that. It's mainly, and the internet really changed that. So you'll see yeah. people do. You know, because uh, you know, YouTube is where most Jamaicans consume their 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 streaming. So they'll be buying into these songs, and it's still easy. You know, to just get into different different songs now. Well, that was my next question. I was about to say, like, I haven't seen a new rhythm since like 2007, yeah. almost. It's almost like it yeah. it went out. So, for you, where is dancehall culture? I have a feeling that, like, is there something new that the younger I'm, I'm, generations embracing? Chronics, Chronics is a part of the new generation. I would think. Mm. You know, well, he's an old soul. Yeah, but 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 there's that's a guy where it, the music that he made was appealing to the young young guys, but also to older people. You know what I'm saying? Okay. People fuck with chronics who are old or people who were young. You know what I'm saying? But as far yeah. as dan as far as dance hall now, you know, if you look at what dance hall is right now, it's a different kind of a sound. But what you what dance hall is looking for is that superhero star that I'm telling you about <laughs> to really make it cool and shift it. You know, the sound might very well be there. It's a combination of two things, the sound, right? And and the artist and the star, mm -hmm. right? Because you could sing something backwards in Hebrew. If you're cool enough doing it, you're going to grab onto it. Do you get what I'm saying? There's Is there a lack of a certain type of charisma yeah, I mean, the same way that there will never be another Michael Jackson, there will never be another yes, Prince. And I'm, I'm, and I'm going to break it down to you. I, I, okay. I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to break it down to you. Hit me. There is a lack of that because you might have somebody who's really talented, but they don't have charisma. Or you might have somebody that got the charisma, but he can't spit real well. Or you might have somebody that got the charisma and he could spit well, but then the person is lazy as shit. Don't want to do no interviews. Don't want to go nothing. Uh, and so, or you might have somebody got all of that, but they got a manager that's just a fucking idiot. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so when you when you look at it, if you it, to to get a superstar, that super, you got to have all of that lined up. Total Take bad. for instance, you, you look at Afrobeat. You know, everybody say Afrobeat has been coming forever. Blah mm. blah 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 mm. blah. Okay. Mm. But you look at Burner Boy right now as the mm. biggest in the world. Now, if you go to like Nigeria and talk to probably the average person, to be like, yeah. Burnable right. that guy, you know. What I mean, you mm -hmm. not go because same shit that go on a different day with a different artist. You know, mm -hmm. they say same shit with me. Oh, Shaggy, I ain't that. You know, whatever it is. So wherever the popular one is, but what sets Burner Boy apart? That's that's the guy that did the work. Because okay. how are you going to tell yeah. the guys in Africa? Africa is a continent. These guys are driving Lamborghinis and Ferrari. You going to tell them to come over here and do Questlove show for free? It takes a different mindset of a guy to be like, you know what? I'm seeing a bigger picture here. I'm going to go do Quest's shit yeah, for free. And I'm going to come from 15 minutes early and make sure that that motherfucker see me when he comes. 
outcomes. You know what I mean, and it ain't money for that guy. It's it is really a bigger picture of where he wants to go. That's that's what Bernard Boy has. He that's the guy that decided he's going to do it. Now, what's going to happen now is once you get that, you're going to see a lot of motherfuckers who was driving them car be like. Yo, I want to be as big as that much. Yo, he ain't shit. Fuck that. You know, and they're going to start to work now because he's now setting that trend of what to do. You notice right after Shaggy, there was a Sean Paul. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. and that then yeah. that becomes trend. You notice right after. Remember what motherfuckers used to do until Jay started putting on suits, you know, and and and, and putting right. fitted on, and then motherfuckers became instead of rappers, they became moments, mm-hmm. you know. And remember that, and Jade came with a model, you know, he went Beyonce. I saw 50 do an interview the other day and say, uh, uh, we know why Jay made it, because he signed that contract. What contract? Beyonce. <laughs> because because Beyonce was this leverage. Because yeah. you're going to have a different conversation now when you got Beyonce in the room. You know what I'm saying? Right. That's right. a difference. And if you, look, if you look at the model, it, it became, okay, so what came after that? Kanye and Kim, same model. Uh, uh, Swiss and Alicia, same mm, model. Mm. You know, right, right now you got Cardi B and and, and uh, Offset, same same model. You mm. know, what I mean, it's it's been patterned because it was blueprinted by Jay. Yes, and you saw that it worked, <laughs> and you followed it. You know what I'm saying? Right. And that's all we're trying to do in in dancehall is create that mold. That'd be like, oh shit, that's blueprinted. This motherfucker made that. I'm gonna fuck with that. And you might do a spin-off of it. It ain't got to be exactly the same way, but you you know, you got something as a guide to bring you there. But making that next shaggy is more of a challenge, I think, than people even know. Cause I was I was just thinking about this as we were talking about these other records that came out during the time when you did, like even with the murder she wrote or uh Flex. The other one thing that you have and that nobody ever did and we, I, we don't want to admit this as americans is that we we knew what the fuck you were saying because for like the rest of those <laughs> records we were just uh, uh, uh. but that was calculated i figured it out you know what i mean i took i knew motherfuckers like reggae because they like the, 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 the cadences and the flow i took dancehall cadences but i just spoke the queen's english so i put a little patwa word there and there but then i made it clear enough Life is one big party when you're still young. But who's going to have your back when it's all done? It's all good when you're having that accent that is there. Yeah. But that was deliberate. It wasn't accident. I but no, but to the point where people spoken. question, but to the point where oh, people absolutely. question your validity as like, Let me tell you you're something. not from Jamaica. Oh, yes. Dude, yes. dude, that shit killed. It made me and killed me at the same time. It wow. made me because I got on every single radio my records would be. It killed me because it'd be like, that nigga ain't real Jamaican. You don't hear that motherfucker? You know what I'm saying? That motherfucker ain't Jamaican. And I am more Jamaican than all the motherfuckers because I'm not, I'm from the gutters of Jamaica. (laughs) I'm from the hood of Jamaica. I mean, I did everything Jamaican out of there. But at the end of the day, as history absorbs you after a while. Yeah, that story wasn't told, Shaggy, though. That part of the story was never told about you because of the fact that you you skipped and went to that pop thing. So everybody who was pushing toward that direction had no idea that we wanted to hear that story. And I didn't want I didn't want to go pop. I just go where they accept it. Understood. Understood. Because if you because if you think about there's another guy that was in my company. His name was Bob Marley. Yes. Yes. Notice that Bob Marley was never played on black radio. Yes. Yes. He was played. He was played on rock radio. Yes. It's so ironic now that that Marley has now become a symbol of black people and, and the black struggle. 
but was not embraced. You're right. It's funny because it was truly black radio's fault, not black people, which my exactly. mother always makes it clear. Like, don't get it twisted. I saw the documentary exactly. too. We fucked with yeah. him. Radio yeah. did not. Radio did not. Radio. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So it's so ironic. And then what was so what was so crazy is that the Marley music that you hear now, that is now the blueprint of reggae music, was actually a hybrid. Oh. Because of, of because of rock because let me show you Chris Blackwell to, to right. get to get reggae to be played on rock records he hired session musicians to right. do overdubs on a lot of the original Whalers records wow. and created a hybrid and created a hybrid and that's how the, and those records are now the blueprint of what reggae music is now if you look at it even with Sting and the Police Sting used to idol Sting told me this that he tried to to emulate. Um, he tried to emulate uh, uh, Family Man and 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 the Wiz yeah. and all of these reggae bands. And what he created, he couldn't do it. So what he ended up doing was a hybrid version of of it, which became the sound Re of the police. Regatta de Blanc, yeah. <laughs> Regatta de Blanc, yeah. Yeah, white it reggae. This, it became white reggae. And 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 if you look at if you look at the police, they were really the first white reggae band. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That sold millions, you know. And if, and then and if you look at it now, at all the rest of the band, you look at UB40, all of these bands that have sold over 10 million are massive. They're all white. UB40. No doubt. Um, AC Bass, you know, <laughs> no way, right? Even now, the two biggest reggae bands is, is, is Soldier and uh, Revolution. White reggae bands. I was with Spice in that fight. She should have. Y'all should have won. Y'all should have won. Matter of fact, matter of fact, Bob Marley, who is arguably the biggest reggae artist of all time, his only number one was "I Shot the Sheriff." That was done by the white guy, Eric Clapton. Yeah, Eric Clapton. <laughs> wow. Wow. You better teach this master class, Shaggy. God damn, Shaggy. Yeah, when when you're when you're having this initial success with with Caroline and all these hits, you know you're you're now stepping into spaces and territories that are you know only for you know the elite artists. And so, what's that experience like? Like now getting to play these stadiums and doing these shows that otherwise you know you're not doing these like local run-of-the-mill nightclubs and sound systems. <laughs> I tell you what, I never felt accepted. I believe that. I, I, I was, I have never felt accepted in any of it. I always felt out of place. Even though I was in the room with some of these big names and I sold those numbers, I never felt like I was accepted as part of it. It was like, okay, he's just a thing. Oh, you got lucky and you're here. So even when you like perform for Michael Jackson at at, at MSG, because I think he actually said, I love this song. I saw his mouth. Yeah, he said it was his favorite record. But Michael gave me a speech. Like I spoke to Michael and he gave me a speech. And when you're talking to Michael Jackson and he knows everything about your album more than you. <laughs> wow. Then you realize that that person is studying you. Yeah, like he was he was asking me about album tracks, not singles, album tracks. Quick backstory, Mike. So Michael Jackson before streaming culture, Michael had like four dudes every week. Like four guys would have to study every chart around the world. Yeah, and then make Michael Jackson 
a compilation mm. of every top 20 chart for every country in the world. So every Monday morning, Michael Jackson's getting <clears throat> a new compilation of whatever is like just gotten to the top 20 and he's studying it. Yeah. And if he likes well, Clive it, Davis, Clive Davis did the same thing. Yeah. Oh, OK. Yeah. And he then if he thing. likes what he hears, then he studies that artist's whole history. Yeah. Yeah, which explains why it takes like six years yeah. between records. So he's busy studying. Yeah. So, so 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 Michael for me was was a validation because for one, I didn't even know the guy knew my name. Right. I, I, imagine how shocked I was that I got the invite. I'm like, I'm dance off. Are you serious? Yeah. Or the and, genre. I'm like, or the genre. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 that I was gonna be on prime time singing that shit. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And then he reacted out. He reacted. So that was that was. Yeah. A, a moment for me so that was a part of the uh a, a validation for me but i think the biggest validation i got was sting that that was the the biggest validation for me that like sting restored every confidence that i was lacking talk like, about it how did, how did you guys meet you know funny enough I'm, i met sting uh in 2004 and antwerp and i jumped on stage and did um roxanne and i never saw him again until years after <laughs> um, was that the police uh, reunion? No, it wasn't police reunion. He was just, you know, doing a. a he did Roxanne doing... on his own. No, he did Roxanne, yeah, on his own. Yeah, he does that every night. It's his song. He wrote, he wrote all of them, so it's good. Well, no, he no, I him. know that, but normally, <laughs> normally when I see Sting, you know, I I get Jazzy Sting or whatever. Like he never touches his police no, he, catalog. He, he, no, he's that that night he did, and and we ended up doing okay. In Antwerp, I was on a thing called Night of the Proms with me, James Brown, Cindy Lauper, Pointer Sister. All of us was there. It was a big orchestra thing. We were there for a month, you know. And, wow. and that's when I met James Brown, too, who took a liking to me and kicked my door in and gave me a full fucking sit down one evening. <laughs> what was that like? He, he, he walked into my dressing room with a, with a bodyguard guy behind him. And and the dude that always put the thing over his shoulders, and and he walked in and said and said, um, he says, sit down, I want to talk to you. And I was like, oh shit, I'm not like a James Brown beat down or something. <laughs> 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 so I sat, and then he was like, let me tell you something. I've been watching you every night. I seen them come, I seen them go. I've been to your country. I part with Molly. Let me tell you something. You good? You the truth? You funny, you need to let them see both sides. And I'm looking at them and I'm say, let me tell you something. They can take away your woman, your house, your car, your money. There's one thing they'll never take away from you. Your talent. And as long as you have your talent, you're a rich man. Keep doing what you're doing. God bless you. Get up and walked out. That was my James Brown you know, <laughs> moment. There. And I was like, because oh, wow. he, he would come out on the stage like all of us we had this orchestra that was playing and we would come out every now and then and play different, different songs. And he would come out every time it was my segment, it would pull a chair up and he just sit down and watch. Wow. And, That's intimidating. And I, yeah. And then I would be like, Mr. Mr. They would say, Mr. Brown. And I'd be like, Godfather. And he, you know, he'd always, hey, Shaggy. And he comes in and, you know, he, he always <laughs> was hollering at me like that. And he just really took a liking to me for some reason. I heard he was a hard ass, but he was like, Really, just a really cool guy to me for some reason. He just, you know, he just liked me, wow. you know. So we we were there doing that, and then Sting came in and, and and for one night that, and we gave up the night, and that's the first time I met him. Years afterwards, Mark Kirzenbaum, 
who was my A&R at, at um, Geffen when, you know, you remember that time when MCA turned into Geffen? <laughs> he remembers. <laughs> <laughs> so Martin, yeah. Martin was uh, the head of international, and he was the only person that really championed my, my project at that time with Asex Lady and these other records. And so I decided to say, hey, that guy championed me. I, I told Jimmy I want him to be my A&R. And so Martin and I became really good friends. Martin then did Cherry Tree Label and signed Lady Gaga and LMFAO and all of these bigger, 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 bigger bands. And when Martin left Interscope, he started managing Sting because he was also Sting's A&R for years. And okay. he just thought, he knew me and knew Sting and just thought that we would get along. And I had a song called Don't Make Me Wait. And Martin says, I love that song. Could you send it to me? So I sent it to him and I'm in the studio in LA when I sent it to him, I'm doing some shit and Sting walked in singing it. And he was like, don't make me come on Shaggy, let's make this a hit. And I was like, oh shit, oh, this shit. really yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah, it was like really, and, and we sat there and he looks at me and he says, now I want you to produce me. I want it to be authentic. This is your, this is your genre. I want you to, and I'm like, you want me to produce you? <laughs> That's the funniest shit I've wow. yeah. What's that I like? Because I, I hear he's hard to take instructions. So, no, he's very easy. He's one of the easiest guys you could do. The only thing you could realize with Sting is that when he's creating, if he comes up with something and you like it and he likes it, just know he's doing 30 more of them and he might come back to the original. <laughs> Wow. That's his process. Oh, that's so fine. It, it, it might be frustrating to you that if you hear that one that you like, he's not, okay, I know you like that. Okay, we'll put that in the pocket. Now I got 30 more to do. <laughs> right. So you got to have patience. Dumb question, yeah. guys. Uh, Shaggy, are you the first reggae artist that Sting has worked with? I don't, I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think Sting has worked with so many people, but I'm, I'm the first I'm one like, who's done an, al an album. Yeah. Like a full oh, album. yeah. Yeah, he's never he's never done a full album with anyone like that. Me and him do a full album together. And it was a camaraderie. We we met each other and just and just was like we had more fun than music. And we just started laughing and just it just happened. We performed with each other like I think right before the pandemic, like the summer before. And when I got the record, I always wanted to know why did you guys name it 44876? Well, we was just trying to be creative. Um, four, what's the, what's four, the significance it, behind the number? So, so four four is the area is the is the phone code. When you're in the UK, you press plus right. four four. Oh, plus four four. Yeah, and right. Yeah, eight seven yeah. six is and Jamaica. eight seven six okay. is Jamaica. So it's four four to oh. eight seven six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host.
Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Before we close, I definitely want to get to this this new project. So <laughs> come, like I, I did not see this coming. Now, yeah, I'm, I'm a Sinatra fan. Like, tell me, tell me the genesis of how you came up with this idea, I'm going to do Frank Sinatra covers. We were on tour on the 44876 tour, and we had a day off in, in like Norway or one of these places. And we we're on the fjords on a boat. Sting says, let's, let's take a boat out and just hang out for the day. And then we were out there, and it was me and Dominic Miller, his guitarist, and we we're all out there on the boat. And we had drinks and everything. And then he jumped off into the water and started swimming. And I was like, I do that shit. <laughs> that's just that's just cold. I'm Jamaican. I'm Jamaican. Right. <laughs> that ain't me, bro. So I just he jump off and sing and started to, to swim in there. Him and dominate. And I said I'm staying on the boat. So while they was out there swimming, I'm like, okay, let me put on some music. So I I just put on some Sinatra because I like Sinatra and I was raised on Sinatra in Who Jamaica. Does? Like I say, it's Sunday music. So I just started playing it from my phone. And then Sting was coming back up on the boat and I was singing along to it. And he just looked at me and says, yo, that's your key. I'm like, okay. And I was like, no, no, no. You have the same, you have the same tone as, as Sinatra. That's, he's a bass tenor, you're a bass tenor. That's, and so he's going to me with all this shit. And I'm like, all right, we have, yeah, sure, whatever. It, you know? And then we started talking and he said, well, it would be cool if we did this in reggae and blah, 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 and all this shit. The shit stayed away to like, this is before the pandemic, all this shit, just sit around, we ain't done shit. And then right. last year, top of the year, he looks at me and says, what, he, the year before he says, you know, we should, he was doing um, this thing in Vegas. We call it the, the residency. His residency. And I went out there to do to the residency and sat and, and kind of jumped on stage at the night and we were backstage and I started singing the Sinatra shit again and he's playing and shit. And he said, Shaggy, we should do this. I'm like, all right. Again, I'm not thinking nothing. And he's like, what are you doing at the top of the year? I said, I'm going to be in Miami. He says, let's do it. And then top of the year, he came to my house in Miami. And, and he called me and says, oh, we're going to do it. So I, had, I ended up flying some musicians up. And we did it in my, at my house, in my studio, in my house in Miami. And started doing it there. By the end of the week, I had like eight songs. I was like, oh, shit, this has really happened. <laughs> and it really started. And then we ended up going to Jamaica. Now we got like Dean Fraser, Lanky Mars. Then we got all the original dudes. We got all the backgrounds done. And then we, we ended up going to L.A. at Capitol into Sinatra's. And we did like 
you know. You did it at the studio? Yeah, yeah, we did it uh, original. Uh, yeah. yeah, we weren't there. Yeah. We recorded yeah. yeah. it there too, Shaggy. It's trippy. It's trippy. With the microphone. You know I mean? and Yeah, it's trippy, you know what I mean? And so we ended up doing that. And then it was Rob who had done, was good at that rep- repertoire that Sting brought right. in, you know? And um, we had to, because in most reggae records are good on two chords. You know this, you know, mm-hmm. it's, they, most reggae records are two chords and Sinatra's, you know, four, five, six chord changes. Right. Mm-hmm. We had to figure out, the genius was how to figure it out to make it not be more jazz than reggae. Because if it's too jazz, then it's just going to be corny. And if it's too right. reggae, then it's got to be enough jazz. So you had to take the right amount of chords out to make it work. And it, strip that it was ex- strip it down, and that was experimental because if it went too much, then it it would be you know it would be too corny if it's too much, and right. you know, and it it, yes. it became it became a really really hard process, and it took Sting really hearing what he was in. And all the vocals was produced by Sting, like he sat there with me and taught me every note on the piano, just like nope, nope, not that, nope, not that, nope, not you know, and really. Uh. Crack on me to make sure that I I got yeah crack the whip to make sure that I did I did average about two songs a day. What was the most challenging song in the in yeah. the uh, songbook to conquer? Luck be a lady was hard. Oh, oh it's, wow! Yeah, luck be a lady was really really hard. And Saturday night and um I, I would think I think that's life was also challenging. That's life yeah. Seems hard. Yeah, it was, it was it was hard, and you know it, and it's it's really just he wanted it, it like he says he kept saying to me, "Don't do Sinatra, right? I don't want Sinatra. I want Shaggy." Mm-hmm. And it was yeah. important for him to get that. He said, "I, I, you're you're doing Sinatra songs. You you're in the same register as him, but don't do Sinatra. I want you to because I had a tendency of of mimicking people, so yeah, I would mimic yeah. Sinatra. He was like, "No, I want Shaggy." Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and he was he was adamant about. It. So at one point, you took your trademark voice away to try to croon like Sinatra. No, no, it wasn't even that. It, I would still use that voice, but, but just the way Sinatra would sing it, note for note, okay. I was copying that, and he didn't want that. Okay. It was like I want Shaggy. You know, yeah. it's gonna be, it's gonna, you got to bring that reggae flavor. It's reggae. I want that Shaggy. You know, and he was, he was. Very adamant about it. I mean, talk when I say every line, man. I mean, we uh-huh. we would he he was really on it. He, he's and if you work with Sting, this guy is there, he's ever on time. He's you know, he's early always, you know, yeah. and he's always a uh, beating you there. So, you know, and I live at the my studio and he'll be there before I get up. <laughs> and I'm like and you in the military. I mean, <laughs> I'm like, dude, come on, man. He's, you know, I mean, and so he'll be there. Y'all rose to that challenge. Yeah, and he'd do it in the day, straight down, and he'll by six, seven o'clock, he'll stop. And that's yeah. how we work every day. It was never a late nice. night, nothing. By seven o'clock, we would probably go, you know, go meet him at the bar by eight or so. And by nine, he's like, okay, I'm going to bed. You know what I mean? That's, that's wow. always you. We'll have like a, a glass of wine or something like that. How did you get your name? Shit. <laughs> 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 no. Oh, because you can't. It wasn't Scooby Doo related? No. Just because no. your curl pattern is undefined. Is that no, let me tell you, let me tell you something. I was I was skinny 
And I had a lot of hair, and they call me Shaggy Dog, Shaggy Dog. And then I went oh, to like England. Oh, like a dog, not even. Yeah, oh, like a, yeah. And then I went to England and found out that Shag meant something else. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was like, uh, you kept it. Oh. Uh, I was like, I like that shit. Cool. <laughs> You are a mess. See, I just you thought you were a Scooby Doo fan. Yo, you are all, I love this mess. I wish the whole world. I, like, I'm like, I'm like, oh shit, that's that's what it means. I'm just a lover, lover. <laughs> Sugar. Sugar. <laughs> Listen, Amir, if this the why is Shaggy not he not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? We need the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We need the Kennedy Center Honors. The yeah, nigga you is legend, a national bro. treasure. You <laughs> legend. You was a treasure. Thank you. <laughs> so uh Boombastic, I mean, just talk tell us about how your life changes when you have a huge record. I signed, I did all Carolina. It became number one in the British chart. It was massive, like, and it was number one in almost. So, and Kenberry signed me, who was the co-founder of Virgin. Mm-hmm. Kenberry had signed that record, and I was in a bidding war with Chris Blackwell and Kenberry. Now, I wanted to go with Island Records because that's where all my reggae heroes were. Right. And I, and 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 Susan Newman, who was Chris Blackwell's right hand, and me got really really friendly. She 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 really loved me. She picked me up from the airport. She would rock with me all the time. So I really wanted to be on that label. I was friend with Apache Indian at that time. Mm. Who, him and I used to hang out in London, and he was on that label. So I really wanted to be on that label. And I was driving to go sign a, a deal memo, and my manager got a call from Ken Berry offering me a million pounds at that time in 1993, which was on Earth. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think Chris Blackwell was offering me something like 150 to 200,000 oh. pounds. Bullshit money. And yeah. I, I went there, I was like, okay, can you match it? And Chris was like, oh, well, you know, it's a little bit too rich for me. You know I mean? I, I, I'm, I've never paid that much for a reggae artist. I'm not about to know. <laughs> he paid $4,000 for the mark. For, 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 for Don't even finish that sentence. I'm- <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> so I'm, just, I'm just letting you know. So um, mm-hmm. Ken, so I went with Ken Berry because he, he gave me a bit of offer. And then when it happened, Old Carolina happened, you know, I did Bombastic, and when I did Bombastic, it came out and debuted at number one the first day it was out. Mm. And it was the first time in reggae or dance all history that any reggae or dance or record would debut on the British chart at number one. And Ken Berry called me and he said, Shaggy, congratulations, you're number one. I'm like, what's number one? The song. I said, we just put it out. He says, yes, it debuted at number one. He says, wow. He says, and then he says, I wonder what Chris would be thinking now. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I said, I said, well, you know, Chris, you know, he said, he, you know, he couldn't, it's reggae. He was going to make that much money. He says, funny you should say that. I made my million back on Old Carolina. It was top five in every country. This is just, this is just the bonus. <laughs> and it debuted at number one. And, and it was the first time in, in the history. And the crazy part about it, when I was doing that record, I was in a car driving to HCNF studio in Long Island. And I had to track on, I had to track on a cassette and it was cassette back in the days and I'm playing it. And all I could do, all I, all I, all the only vibe the record, the song gave, the beat gave me was mm, just moaning. I just kept moaning <laughs> on the record. I moaned the, the whole drive. I just, mm, mm, whoa, bro, mm, lover, lover, mm, bro. Bro, 
And so when I got to the studio and Sting International put it up on 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 the tape, you know, I just went around there. I just started moaning. Fantastic. And then he looked, and Sting looked at me and said, "Yo, motherfucker, you got to put some lyrics to that shit." I like what you say, but you and it's a smooth. Just like a silk, soft and cuddly, up like a quilt. And those records were all freestyle. I never wrote those records. I just, it, it was started from moaning. Wait, what? Yo, yeah. wait. The irony, <laughs> the irony of you telling the story, because even in the story of Let's Get It On, yeah. and uh, this right, really comes full right, circle because. Right. Yeah, Jan, rest in peace. Yeah, man. The, the version of Let's Get It On That We Know was yeah. a freestyle because basically this, the moment he saw Jan Hunter walk in the room, he was showing off and he freestyled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, take. yeah, the original Let's Get It On, it yeah. was be like a political song. It was like, yeah, like let's, let's get on, organized. Let's, let's get, get it on. on. Let's get it right. Yeah, but right. the crazy part, the crazy part, though, I did those moaning not on the on because the, the Marvin Gaye version that you know of Let's Get It On that is on Bombastic was a remix. Oh, right. so that the there's original, an original. The, orig the original, which was big in every other country except the United States. Ah. I, I should know this. What's okay. the original? I, I the, the, the Marvin Gaye version that you know happens to be only in North America, America in America. That's it. In every other uh, country in the world, the original is is the hit record. So when you perform uh, it, you do which version? Depending on in where America, you are. In America, yes. In America, I use ah! the, the, the Marvin Gaye. Everywhere else in the country, I go to the original reggae version. Which was, which was massive. Yeah. Wow. Well, wait. Since you told <laughs> that story, then I need to know, did you ever find out what version thought once... You went to to MCA with it, it wasn't me because I'm almost certain that they said like, okay, well we so, had our one hit. So Ken Berry, who is of course the the head of Virgin, ended up moving on. It's the craziest thing after that. I got that record. I ended up doing Maxi Priest's album at that time, and we did That Girl, which was also a top five record. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That. yeah. And then and then I put another record out, and and it was came out the same day Princess Diana died. And they just stopped playing records. They just played "Candle in the Wind" on every radio station. You're right. You're right. And You're and, right. and and so and so my record tanked and my album tanked. And there's a guy that was the head of the record company, Ken Berry, had now moved on to running, you know, because he had success with me and Letty Kravitz and Janet. So he was a big wig now. So they he ended up running EMI, the whole EMI. And there was a guy called Paul Conroy who became the president, and he just did not know what the fuck to do with me. It's like his dance all in. And so they dropped me, and they dropped me and Maxie and signed the next dance hall sensation at the time, which was Beanie Man. Wow. Okay. Wow. That ain't the same money. They dropped me, they signed Beanie Man, and they were trying to get its out of it and out of and sitting there trying to do the Maya record, a couple of those records was going. Mm -hmm. Patrick Moxie, who was the, yeah, the founder he was of Payday, Payday, right? He was at Payday. That's he my ended guy. Up being, he ended up being the head of uh, uh, uh the head of A and R at that time, at and running right. Virgin at that at that time, and the whole Janet thing. And he put Beanie Man with Janet Jackson, all that shit. 
So it was so crazy about that is in the time that was going on, Jam and Lewis decided to do a, a project for how Stella got her groove back. Yeah, right. and, yeah they, they did the soundtrack. Right. Yeah, yeah. They did the soundtrack. Oh, and so, right. Ooh, boy, I love you. So yeah, I forgot so about that one. Yep. Okay. All right. Here the, here the crazy part now. Terry McMillan, who actually the story was about, who was the writer, mm-hmm. and she she did the story autobiography of, of, about herself and her, her courting of this guy and her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She told Terry Lewis that you got to get Shaggy on that soundtrack because me <laughs> and my man used to fuck to that Boombastic record. In Jamaica. Oh, oh. In Jamaica. That is true true fucking story. And that's how Terry Lewis came to New York, found me and said, Shaggy, I want to play a track. And the track had, ooh, boy, I love you so. And I just started, when he started playing, I was like, I would amount a lot to make you moist and wet. I would amount a lot to make you moan and sweat. Sweet, succulent, and fine. And he's like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. And I'm just in awe because I'm in Jimmy Jam and Terry fucking Lewis. <laughs> like, yeah, like, what the fuck? And Terry is like, oh, man, you shit, you shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. And he called Jimmy because Jimmy was there. He called Jimmy. He said, oh, man, you need to hear this shit. This motherfucking shit. Ugh. And he was like, and then he started playing a bunch of records and it got like Mary J. Blige and Casey yeah, and Georgia yeah. and Boyz uh-huh. the Ben and fucking Prince and all that. I was like, oh, shit, my record ain't gonna make it. Fuck that shit. And, <laughs> And just so it happened, they ended up putting the soundtrack out because at that time when the movies came out, you put the soundtrack out without a single and you put the soundtrack out and radio just out of just started playing the track with me and Janet. But we didn't have single rights that song. So he couldn't be a single. Uh, he couldn't, yeah, y'all couldn't shoot doing all that we stuff. Could, we, yeah. So we ended up shooting a video, eventually got a record stop blowing up and I was just going from station to station working it. And then we ended up doing a video, but when I did a video now, if you look at the video online, you'll see that Angela Bassett and Whoopi Goldberg's are who's singing the hook. Janet yeah. wasn't in it. Uh, yeah. Because we couldn't uh, get her. We couldn't get her. They wouldn't, they, we, and, and I was a little reggae guy. She was a major, major pop star. They were in right. Virgin. Patrick Moxie wasn't going to get give her to me either at that point because he had just dropped me. Dropped right, they right. just dropped oh, me. Right. And Sabini, now I catch this fucking record. And it was like, I ain't giving you Janet. Fuck that. You're going to make me look and bad. Then, <laughs> and then Beanie winds up doing a joint with Janet with the Neptunes. Exactly. Yeah. Which that's all aluminum. So. Right. I don't even. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, they, and, and the Neptunes did that shit. And they they spent two million on video and the whole shit. And my shit became number one. And then right after that, the next record that really popped up for me was was uh, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. And then I was off. Yeah, <laughs> it was off. <laughs> and what was that? Well, like, was that another kind of like freestyle? Was it, it wasn't me. Was that the what was that? that no, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I got from um. I was Eddie watching Murphy. um. Yeah, Eddie Murphy. I was watching Raw. Oh, Raw. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I saw that, and I was, I was like, "Yo, that's a song." And I just, I we just cultivated from Raw. I saw Eddie in in Bahamas and told him that. Because we were we was back there, I was like, you know, you know, I took that whole shit from it. And he said, "So motherfucker, you owe me royalties." I knew he was going to ask for money. At this point, Shaggy, I, I I know the answer to you feeling like you getting your flowers from America. I feel like you. I don't know if you. I'm assuming that that's like 
Not as much, but I wanted to know, how do you feel about getting your flowers from the folks in Jamaica? Like, do you feel at this point that they are you respected as a legend that you are? And it felt like that while you do, because of you doing the Spice record, I felt like that was a beautiful kind of wraparound. Like they respect you, you respect them or is, or is, or is that just a it, hope? It's, it's been a journey. It's been okay. a journey from me being, starting a dance hall, then becoming pop, and then not having no respect at home to me doing a song called Church. I, I literally got off Geffen to do dance hall. If you, if you remember Quest, the record called Some of Them, Some of Them, with, with Olivier, with Olivia. I ended, I ended up doing that record, even though the record company didn't want me to do that record because I wanted to do dance hall. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I knew that I have to get back into dance hall to get the street back. And then right after that, when it put it out, it didn't do very well because they didn't know what to do with it. And then they dropped me. And right after they dropped me, I wrote Church Eden, which was a massive 19 weeks number one in the dance hall. And then just overnight, everybody in the street started fucking with me. Aww. And then and then the prime minister uh, at the time, uh, Portia Simpson, was a woman. She was the first woman running for, for, for prime minister. And, right. and, and she ended up using Strength of a Woman as her theme song. And every little ghetto kid was singing that shit. And that became massive. And then I ended up doing my charity concert, which was Shaggy and Friends, where I raised money for the Bustamante Hospital for Children. And, you know, and I did, I had everybody from Lauren Hill to fucking Boyz II Men to everybody. Sting was the last person that did it. And I'd done that. So it became a respectful thing after a while where people be like, okay, this dude is the true dude. I'm fucking with him. You know what I mean? And that became that. And so it became that. And I had the respect of Jamaica, but I didn't have the respect of the industry. Mm. The industry was still like, okay, this guy isn't authentic. And and that came mm. in part with, with Sting saying, yo, this guy is a genius, or as, as he would put it on, on interviews, which blew my mind because I think of him as like a musical genius god. Mm -hmm. But he would have these conversations like, I've never seen anybody write songs as fast as this guy and does it. And he doesn't play an instrument. And, and, he, it it. Always, and he, it always freaked him out. He always says, I don't understand how you're so melodic and don't play. You know, it's just it's all in your head. You know? And I'll sit around the mic and freestyle. Can we come from that? And I'm spitting these melodies and shit like that. And we go down the road, right lyric side and be like, oh, OK. So he would get that. So he validated me on that level. The, this true validation comes now from the Spice record, which I wrote, you know, uh, and got was a Shaggy record first. And I, I literally mm -hmm. took it and flipped it to, to Spice and then we put Sean Paul on it. And that became not just a massive record on the global side of things, but it all and a big TikTok record, but it was the streets. And, yeah. and it was produced by me. It was but and then and then there were other things too, like for instance. Cartel did Slow Motion, um, which was a record, which was one of his first big records, which which I produced and put on my label. You know what I'm saying? Okay. And, 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 and you know, because I went there and took his voice and everything and got it, got it done. And there's so many other reggae records, dancehall records that I've done that were big that people didn't know I wrote, but I wrote. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm talking hardcore shit. Like Chico, girl, if you don't care, maybe see you put on in the air from the amount of money. Now, all of these shit, Maxi Priest, um, whatever your eyes can see, all of these records were re records that were street records that I I either wrote 
or produced. And then so after a while, people just started to be like, okay, yeah, right, we're fucking with him. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that was actually my question, Laia. So thank you. Is there anything that you have yet to achieve? Like, because I know, like, you know, overachievers might necessarily feel like there's one more itch they got to scratch and that sort of thing. And I know that even for us, like, we've had that same journey where, you know, yeah. our audience who does not look like us embraces the shit out of us. And, you know, yeah. but we long for our hometown, our our peoples to really embrace yeah. us, which I feel like, yeah. you know, with this next project we're doing, we're going to get that moment. But yeah, no, you you answered the question. To me, with, with you, and I'm just going to give this for you. When I remember sitting with your band and I was, you know, I was talking, I think it was your trumpet player or something I was talking to. And, and, mm-hmm. and we we're, were talking about um, just how this gig, the, 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 the late night gig, affected your whole shit and he was like hey, it's a different thing you know we got we got dental and medical <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i got the best like, teeth in the business bro yeah and i'm i'm, I'm and I'm, i it dawned on me at that point i was like wow yeah that's that's some real shit you could and and what you have done with the platform you know even when i was so i think i saw you and just was telling you how genuinely happy i was to see you win um, that night, even though it was really crowded with that bullshit that happened. But, yeah, yeah. you know, but you, I was just really, because I kind of know your journey, you know, you know, and, and, and I know even some of it, even through Scott, because when I was in Miami with Scott and just kind of see how the whole shit go and just know your journey being on, on MCA and just to see what you have done with the platform you know, I mean, it is it is just uh, commendable, and I just want to take that time out to say, well, thank bro, you, brother. You know, I, what I mean, I appreciate it, that. it is not gone on unnoticed. <laughs> thank you, man, dude. This is this has been amazing. I'm not blowing smoke and whatever, like, yeah, I'm, yeah. Nah, and I'm not even trying hard. trying to kick it like, oh, well, I had low expectations. No, but man, like you, I need to. I got to tell the world, like, you yes. are you're a historian, like. Yes. Yeah. And right now, history and misinformation is like, for me, that's like almost job one, like uncovering history, making sure that, you know, we, we know our culture and that finding we, we... griots, finding griots. Exactly. So this yes, this sir. was a very important episode of Questlove Supreme. And I thank you for doing this for us, man. Thank you. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. On behalf of Fontigolo, Sugar Steve, Laia, Unpaid Bill, this Questlove. What's Love Supreme? Another classic under the bus, under the hood, under the notch. I don't know, like the proper clothes. <laughs> what, what should I say, Steve? I don't know. I, I'm, I, you know, Shaggy has a Christmas album. Merry Christmas, Shaggy. <laughs> People love that Christmas it does. album. Yeah, yeah. Why, why yes. do I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a Christmas album of dance because when we were young, all we all we got at Christmas was that Bing Crosby, the regular Christmas record, mm-hmm. and my right. grandmother killed me with that shit. It was like. I'm like, and ain't nothing, Bing Crosby is singing, ain't nothing was, was looking like, because I'm in Jamaica, there's no white right. snow, you know what <laughs> I mean? There's no there's no right. Santa Claus in the chimney. There's no, none of that, it don't look like my Christmas. So I wanted oh. to do an, an album that looked like how my Christmas looked. Your Christmas. Which, mm-hmm. which was Ragamuffin Christmas and Christmas in the Islands and those songs that's on that record. And I got from Neo to to Ding Dong, to Junior Reed, 
to Bounty Killer, everybody on this, on this singing, Bounty Killer, Beanie Man, everybody, Shensia, all of them is on this record singing our versions of, of our dance off Christmas records, Christmas yeah. songs. Mm-hmm. Christmas you know, I mean, it, it ain't Mariah Carey shit, but you know. But <laughs> <laughs> you can It'll smoke do. to it. <laughs> It'll do. We can smoke no. to it. <laughs> <laughs> nah, brother. Thank, thank you, man. I, I appreciate you for doing this, the salad, and talking to us. Mm-hmm. Nah, this is so much epic fun. Episode. Thank you so much, man. All right, all right. We will see y'all in the you. next go round of Course Love Supreme. It's brother yeah. Shaggy. Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.